what we are doing to help you with your journey and what we can do, sorry. Yes. So, Eric, yeah, briefly tell the yeah. people um, who you is first. Right. So, as, as introduced, my name's Errol McKellar. I'm a prostate cancer survivor, and I'm also the founder of the Errol McKellar Foundation, which um, what we try to do is we try to raise the awareness of prostate cancer, and we also help to educate people on all of what's going on with the research and the studying of prostate cancer to try to bring a lot more forward thinking to the attitude of how we want people to deal with prostate cancer. So, Aaron. Yeah. I, I, I watched it in your life. You did, if, it, if this two persons, let's talk up. I no, watched no, it in your me, life. Listen, ask me any questions okay. you want. I watched it in your life. Did you... Um, you, you realize how you was diagnosed with prostate cancer. You know what, countryman, that's a great question. And my journey with prostate cancer started at the end of 2010 when my wife, Sharon, was complaining about my snoring. And just before we go ahead with any more of this conversation, I want to let the, you and the listeners know that snoring has nothing to do with prostate cancer. But what's important is that Prostate cancer is discovered sometimes purely by accident uh, because not everybody shows the signs of the uh, symptoms related to prostate cancer. So that's why I mentioned the snoring because, as I said, it's got nothing to do with it, but yet it was relevant in me discovering that I had prostate cancer. So, so yeah, go on. Go on. So the snoring, what, how, 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 at what, okay, you, it was discovered by accident, yeah? Yeah, so, yeah. And which is your wife would have complained about the snoring. Yeah. Which urged you and pushed you to go to something about your snoring. Is that right? No, countryman. You know what? She, I said to her, I said, look, if this snoring thing is bothering you that much, right, make an appointment with the doctor and I'll go. And she did that. She made the appointment. I went to the doctor, sat in the reception room, and I picked up a leaflet and I started reading this leaflet. And it was... Uh, about the PSA test, right, which is prostate-specific antigen test, right? And I decided to go to the reception and make an appointment to come back and do this test. When I got to the um, reception, the uh, nurse said, Mr. McKellar, you don't need to make an appointment. This is a simple blood test, and it takes less than 10 minutes. So little did I realise that that 10 minutes was going to change the rest of my life because... You know, I had the blood test, came back, um, you know, I, I was invited to do a, a second blood test after that, right? And then after the second blood test, one week after that second blood test, I get a phone call, right? The doctor said to me, we booked you in for a biopsy. So I said, when, when is that, doctor? And he said, well, we booked you in this morning. So I said, okay. So I put the phone down. I phoned my wife and I said to her, you know, the doctor had booked me in for a biopsy. And she said, when is that then? And I said, this morning. So she said, okay. She said, well, don't bother to drive. Get a cab and I'll meet you at the hospital. So just before I put the phone down from talking to her uh, about the appointment, I, I turned to her and I said to her, by the way, what's a biopsy? And to be honest, you know, her answer was, it's nothing to worry about. It's quite, it's a routine thing that we women have to go through all the time. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And, and I'm glad she said it to me that way. Because, you know, 
it's it, it you know the biopsy is very very intrusive it, it, it's very very painful but it's very needed it's very important that you have it if that is the case because it's the one way of the uh, urologist who's the specialist doctor for prostate cancer it's the one way for them to physically feel and get a look at the actual prostate itself because of where it is because it's a rectal examination so they they tend to have to put this camera this tube right with a camera they put it in your rear end and it goes up and part of part of that tubing takes it, it takes pellets off the prostate so it takes little bits of of the prostate, right, so that he could examine it. So right, Norman, can I feel your pain in uh, Yeah, listen, it was painful. It was painful, but it was very needed, very, very needed. So they, they, they did that, and then one week after that, they called me back in to do a scan. A week after that scan, they called me and my wife in, sat us both down, and they said, Mr. McKellar, I'm sorry to tell you that your prostate is covered in cancer. Well, I got up and I walked out of the room, you know, because, you know, I think the whole conversation went right over my head. I came out of the building, I went and I sat in my car, and to this day, I don't know whether I was scared or frightened or both, I just burst into tears, man. I could not come to terms with that conversation. I think the word cancer hit me. And once that happened, you know, I just completely lost control. And I remember my wife coming in the car and she sat in the car with me. And she said, listen, she said, all the years that I've been with you, I've never seen you quit on anything that you've ever done. And I had to, I had to, listen, I had to man up, you know, I had to stop crying and wipe the tears away from my eyes. And I said to, you know, I looked at her and I thought, is this, is she having a go at me or is this her way of motivating me to get up and do something about it? Mm-hmm. You know? So I took the latter. That's, that's what she was doing. She wanted me to get up and do something about it. So I said, come on and let's go back and face the doctor then. But by mm-hmm. then I, I dried my eyes now and, and kind of got myself back together, you know, because as I said, I was completely out of it. I was lost, you know, and we both went back into the doctor. I said, right, doctor, what do I need to do to deal with this problem? Doctor said, Mr. McKellar, if we don't remove your prostate, you could be dead in six months. That's what he said to me. And and then the conversation starts to get real now. You know, so I said to him, look, doctor, if I've got a chance of staying alive, I'll take that. Right? And he turned to me and he said, listen, there will be some issues that you'll have to deal with. There'll be some side effects that you have to come to terms with. I said, doctor, and I will repeat what I said to you before. If I have a chance of staying alive, I will take that. So I had the operation because they, they, they wanted to do it immediately. So I had the operation. But by then, the cancer had already started to travel. So I then had to have nearly three months of radiotherapy to burn away the rest of the cancer. And that was very difficult because, you know, that caused a lot of, of, of complications and other issues. So I was out of work for nearly six months at the time. And, you know, I used to run a, I used to run a garage in London servicing and repairing cars and doing MOTs as a, a qualified mechanic. Mm-hmm. And uh, the first day I went back to work, right, you know, and I always remember just before I went back to work, 
you know, I turned to the wife and I said, look, I, I think I'm very lucky because for the amount of cancer that I'm supposed to have had, right, for me to still be alive, you know, I have to thank God for this. And she turned to me and she said, listen, this cancer only knocked you down, you know, it didn't knock you out. And you're going to go to 12 rounds with it, but you're going to take everybody in the ring with you. And that was my inspiration. That's what I use as my inspiration every day when I get up, those words. And I went back to work, as I said, after being out of work for six months. And um, a guy walked into the garage. First day I was in there, you know, we had a pleasant conversation. He was telling me how pleased he was to hear I've come back because he heard I was going through some difficult times. And up to this day, I don't know why or how it came out. I just looked at him in the conversation and I said to him, you know, when was the last time you had your prostate check? And the pleasant conversation stopped, you know, and he looked at me hard, man. And, and he said, what the bleep, bleep, bleep has that got to do with my gearbox not working on my car? You know? So I said to him again, without thinking about it, I said, I'll tell you what I'll do, right? I said, I'm going to give you 20% discount on the work I'm going to do on your car, right, if when you come back, right, you will have gone and got your prostate checked. Mm -hmm. Well, I didn't think I didn't think it through properly, right, because two weeks later when he came to pick up his car, he, he came into the garage and he looked at me and he said, I took your advice, and he was waving this piece of paper in his hand. And I looked at him, I looked up to the sky, and I said, Christ, this has just cost me 200 quid. <laughs> yeah. I'm saying to myself, 20%? Yeah. 20%, you know. And, you know, and, and when, I, when he said to me, he did the test, I, I looked up to the sky, and um, when, he, when he, I, he, he saw the look on my face, and he, and he said to me, look, don't worry about the money. And I looked up there again, and I said, thank you, God. <laughs> All right? But he said, look, he said, I think you need to read this letter. And when I took the letter from him, countryman, right, I, when I opened the letter and I read the letter, this man, he had 25% cancer in his prostate, 25%. He was the first man of 48 guys to walk into my garage and be diagnosed with prostate cancer. 48 wow. men, right? 28 of those guys were African-Caribbean men. Mm -hmm. Two of them are no longer alive today, right? And let me tell you what's what's sad about those two guys. One of them, right, was 42 years of age when he came into the garage and I told him to get himself checked. And he took the discount and he went and got himself checked. And unfortunately, right, he, uh, he lasted 10 months when he found out that he was diagnosed with prostate cancer. And for me, he was very, very unlucky. Right, that was my view. And what was more frightening is that the other gentleman was 36 years of age. Young stuff. Yeah, young, young man. But let me tell you what's frightening about him and why, you know, what he said to me stuck it will always stay with me forever. I looked at him because he came into the garage to leave his car to get some work done in it. And when I came into the garage, when he came in, I said to him, listen, I said, have you ever had your prostate check? And he said, I can't go through all of that, man. My, my dad went through it. My two brothers have gone through it. Um, 
and my uncles had it as well. So I had to ask him to repeat himself because I said, I can't be, I cannot believe what I'm hearing. So I asked him to repeat it. And when he, when he said it, I immediately took the car for the keys from him and I took him to Homerton Hospital, which was not far from where I worked, because they knew I was doing the campaign to raise mm-hmm. awareness, right? So they were backing me and supporting me. <clears throat> Two weeks later, he came back in the garage, right? And I looked at him and he looked at me and he had tears running down his eyes and he said to me, it's too late, right? The cancer's already travelled, right? He lasted six months, right? Almost to the day that he found out that he was diagnosed with, with prostate cancer six months 36 years of age right you know i mean it's ridiculous right for me for a young man to die like that for me he died through fear and ignorance yeah yeah right because he knew that he was in his family so he was frightened to do anything about it so he chose to ignore it and think it was going to go away and it was never going to go away right so out of those three people, those two guys and myself, I was the lucky one because what was ironic about those two men is that they both had less cancer than what I had. Mm. One, the 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 the, the forty two year old had seventy two percent cancer. The thirty six year old he had eighty something percent cancer. I had ninety two point five percent cancer. So wow. I challenge, yeah, I challenge anybody to tell me there's not a God here, right? Because if I am doing this now, it must be God that has kept me alive to do this, as well as the support that I'm getting from all of you wonderful people, because this cancer is affecting over 47,000 men a year, right? Currently, 11,000 plus are dying of this cancer. That's one man every 45 minutes. So by the end of this day, by 12 o'clock tonight, we'd have lost 129 men to this illness, right? One in 12 Asian men are currently dying of prostate cancer. One in eight white men are currently dying of prostate cancer. But more frighteningly, one in four African Caribbean men are dying of prostate cancer. And the risk is even higher if it's in your family. But you're only going to know it's in your family if the people talk about it. So you know when they talk about one in uh, one in four African Caribbean people? Yeah, yeah. One in four African Caribbean men are dying of prostate cancer. So what do you think that is? The fear? Are them just I th- I think you've summed it up just in just in that word. You know, unfortunately, you know, we are we need to be more involved with what's going on with the research and the understanding of prostate cancer and be more readily available to put ourselves up to be checked. You know, there's still, you know, we're getting better, but there's still a long way to go for us to say that we are improving because, you know, the one in four, right, of that issue is because a lot of us African Caribbean men are still reluctant to go and get ourselves checked. I lost 15 guys to prostate cancer last year, right? I lost, I've lost six this year already, you know, I've done six funerals this year already. I did 15 the last year. Those numbers, right, they do need to go down. And we have to take a more direct attitude towards it. And even even if it's in the family, even if it's in the family, unless we talk about it, we're not going to know about it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, so, te- and, so tell me something. What, yeah. what, 
what can we um see as early signs? Right. What, what are the early what, signs of what we you know? Right. The, 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 this is another great question, right? Because the early signs, right? The, the the most common of issues is getting up three four times a night. Um, going to toilet but not completely emptying, right? All you're doing is you're going to toilet and you're you're leaking like a, a tap, right? Mm-hmm. When you're dripping, or when you go to the toilet, you're not empty, right? You're 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 going, but you're still when you come away, your bladder's still half full, and you can feel that it's still half full. You've got lower back pains, lower abdominal pains because of what's going on inside, and but basically they're just some of the symptoms. Some people don't even show those signs of symptoms, and yet there can be a problem with their prostate. So what we want to do at the Old McKellar Foundation is we want men to treat this like a yearly MOT, right? Mm-hmm. No different to your motor car, right? You know, your motor car has to have MOT, it has to have tax, and it has to have insurance. Yet me and you can stand up there with 100% cancer and that's not only that's mm-hmm. not as important, you know. So we want men to dedicate every year to go into their doctors to get themselves checked. In the meantime, what we at the Errol McKellar Foundation is trying to do is we want to get a mobile PSA testing vehicle so that we can drive it, take it around the country, right, which will be fully staffed by NHS approved staff to do the PSA test so that at least if we get people every year, right, then at least if there's a problem, then it can be addressed. Because the one important thing about this cancer is that early detection is the key. If you detect it early, you have a 98% success rate of being cured. Being cured. And that should be the most important statement. You know, a lot of guys are saying, I'm not going to have this biopsy because I'm going to lose my erection. If you're dead, you lose your erection full stop. Full stop, period. Yeah. So, you know, look, you know what, countryman, me and you can sit around with our fellow brothers and have some real talk, right? Because that's what is needed. You know, we are the highest risk, but part of the reason why we're the highest risk is because we don't want to get involved in what's going on. The, the, the testing for prostate cancer now is a lot better than it was 10 years ago when I was diagnosed. So what then do the test? Because I used some blood testing. Well, yeah, you yeah it's, simple, it's, like, it's like, you know, like the diabetes test, right? Where you have that pinprick blood testing, uh-huh, uh-huh. right? That's what the new prostate testing is, right? That type of, of blood testing. And also, right, there's an open scan that you can have now, right, which is that good that you don't need to have the rectal examination. You know, so that's why it's important that we get involved in the research work, understand, and, and the Earl McKellar Foundation was set up because I want people to come and ask questions. You know, we we have the best medical people on board to answer these questions because people need to know the truth, but they need to know the right information because what is critical about this is people having the right information and not going off on what we call, you know, becoming a Google doctor and saying, oh, yeah, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. Right? It, unless, you know, I'm not medically qualified to give anybody their um, advanced messages of what medically to take and what not to take. And what I, what I would always do is encourage them to go and get their test so, right? because it's important. So tell me something. Um, going back a bit, your journey with prostrating. 
Yeah. Um, how was that affecting you, stroke your family? How did what, what was it like? Well, that's that's another. You know, you're on form tonight with the questions, man. <laughs> I tell you, because that is uh, that it's you know, if you're picking your lottery numbers, how you're picking your questions, right. you can retire today. I hope so. You know, um, it w- listen. Let what one one of the advices I would say to people is that if unfortunately you are diagnosed with prostate cancer, you cannot uh, get through this by yourself. You know, your wife or your partner will become your carer. Right, your family will become your most important support network going, and then your friends, if you choose to talk to them about it, which you should do, will also be your support because it's not just a, it's just not, it's not just a physical illness. When Mental. Diagnosed with prostate, yeah. When you get diagnosed with prostate cancer, right? Listen, there's far. What men are thinking is, oh, I'm going to lose my erection. It's far worse than that. It's the, the mental torture that it does when it's torturing you mentally so you know, when you talk about when you talk about torture mentally yeah um okay. hold on we need, to, we need to go for a break yeah okay Errol, yeah. we're talking about the, the mental um side of prostrate yeah. Um, prostate cancer. Um, how, how would can you describe a, a scenario or a situation? Or... Right. As a man, as a man, yeah. right? You know, you, you psychologically will immediately start to look at how you continue to have a sexual relationship because you're not going to be the same man that you were before you were diagnosed. Whereas you might have you know, approached it like a Usain Bolt, you really have to deal with it like Mo Farah. You have to, you know, look at it and say to yourself, look, you know, it's not all about this penetration and, you know, you know, I'm the Tarzan in the bedroom. You know, you have to readjust yourself and you have to come to terms with things not being the same downstairs as it was yesterday. You know, and that is a difficult one for a man to deal with, right? if he chooses not to allow himself to remind himself that, you know, if he touches somebody, that is just as important, right, as trying to do the obvious, if you like. Yeah. So after after you've been diagnosed, not you personally, and then file it and then clear it up, does everything start to work normally? I just know. Let me tell you, some people... Some people have come back to almost 100%, right? But a lot of that is to do with your inner self, right? Your character, your inner strength. A lot of that would be really, really positive, right, for you, um, you know, dealing with it, you know, uh, mentally. Because, you know, as I said, the physical aspect will be the obvious one, right? Mm-hmm. And First of all, you've got to come to terms with both the physical and the mental aspect by putting the two together and being strong within yourself and say, you know what, I have to deal with this one day at a time. You have to, that's how you're going to address it because if you don't, right, it will torture you. It will torture you mentally, right, because of the uh, physical elements of what you have to deal with. And that's where the support of your closest, nearest and dearest 
come in, you know, because, you know, first of all, your wife is going to sit down and understand what you're going through. You've got to understand what she's going to go through as well, because she loves and cares about you. So it's an unconditional love that she will give to stand and support you in, in getting through this. Well, so we've gone from uh, prostrate, Sorry, Kia yeah. Mechanic. You still doing Kia Mechanic? Are you still doing it? After no, that? no, that, no, that's finished now. I'm, I'm, I'm full time on this charity. Full, full time doing the charity work now. You know, we, we set up this charity 2019 because we felt that, you know, men are not getting the attention that they need, right? In terms of, you know, we don't even get a letter to say that me and you have to go to the doctor. Ladies get their letters. Right to go and get their various tests. We don't get anything. We don't get anything. We don't get nothing. Nothing at all. So <laughs> if we don't go at fifty, right, nobody's going to tell us to go. Right, they just advise you to go when you're fifty. Right, but the problem with that is that men are dying younger now. They're dying younger, right, with this problem. So, so tell me something. According to research, yeah. what is them telling us that people start get might be a problem? Wrong question. What is no, that's a good question. It's what is it starts getting prostrated from? Right. They're telling us that they're advising us that when you're when you're 50, right, you should book in to have a test for prostate cancer. Mm -hmm. Right. If you're African Caribbean or you have a history of it in the family, you should be getting yourself checked at 45. But what we're arguing is that particularly in the African Caribbean community. Right, it should be a lot younger than that. I don't even. I'm saying that from 30 onwards, we should be starting to look at being checked. And if it's in your family, like how that 36-year-old was, right? You know, even earlier than this. Because what's worrying is that, you know, I've had people who have had people who are 27, 28 that have died of prostate cancer. So my argument with that is, if you go back 10 years, at 15, 16. They wasn't even aware of how serious the prostate cancer is. So it doesn't need to be a topic that should be in schools. So in your eyes now, you're looking at somebody who's 27 years old got diagnosed. So yeah. what you would probably be looking at now, and I feel the same thing too as well, from a person touched out 2021 20, and supposed yeah. to get out. It's only a blood test, no, isn't it? That's right. Start asking the question, particularly if there's a history of it in your family, mm. start asking the question early. And, and, and the one thing that, you know, prostate cancer, and we haven't found a cure for it yet, but the one thing we know about it is that if it's caught early, it's curable. So why would you not take those odds, right, when the test, right, the test to do a prostate PSA blood test is less than £25. For, you know, if you if you went and had the blood test, it's less than twenty five pounds. Yet, if you're diagnosed with prostate cancer, to treat you right for the next five to seven years, right, for you to hopefully be cured of the cancer, is going to cost the government and the NHS one hundred and fifty thousand pounds. Wow. It's ridiculous. You know, the, the two numbers just don't they don't <laughs> add up. You know, it's common sense. It's absolute common sense. Why would you? not take that chance and say, you know what, I need I need to once a year, this is what we're asking people at the Earl McKellar Foundation. We're saying to, to men, once a year, 
make a pledge, right, to go and get yourself tested once a year. So, so tell me something. As a foundation yourself, and you know me, yeah. if a question drawn up on me, couldn't you, yeah. as a foundation yourself, create um, addresses, emails, and send out letters to people? We can, but, but it's, yeah, but it needs to be. It needs to have what we call a legal approach because, first of all, you're taking blood, right? So no, not, 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 not you as a person. I'm saying, could yeah, you yeah. just as a foundation? Yeah, we yeah, call one man. So you know what? I'm going to email country man. Oh, country man, go take your your PSD test and come yeah. back to me with it. Could you as a yeah. person do that? Yeah. Well, that's what we. That's why. That that's why we set up the charity because we are asking people now, right? We're saying, look. We have a link on the charity now, right, which we're saying to people, right, look, get in touch with us, right, and let us know that you are, you know, let's get a number of people together so that the government can see why we are we are campaigning to get this letter. Because we're saying that if we have this letter, right, we would, you know, we get a warning to get an MOT on our car every year. Mm -hmm. We get a warning to get our insurance on the car every year, and we definitely get a warning to get the tax on our car every year. We should have the same from the government saying, you know what, I mean, they can even send you the message on the phone, yeah, which is yeah, what we're going to do. Yeah, We're going to do that on the mobile vehicle. And that's why that's why we said, look, if men aren't going to go and do this test, what's the alternative? And we looked at it and we said, you know what, the alternative is if they're not going to do the test, we'll bring the test to them. Talk about this mobile vehicle now. Right. Well, a mobile vehicle is going to cost £450,000 to buy, equip it, and to get it put on the road. That's what it's going to cost us to do this. And this will be run and staffed by the NHS authority, right? Because it has to be approved and it has to be sanctioned and it has to be backed by NHS because what we are doing... Right. As I said, it's very important that when you're taking blood, that everything that you do, you follow the right criteria. Right? Mm -hmm. Now, the bus will have a blood testing room to take the blood. It will have a surgical room to analyze and diagnose whether you have a problem with your prostate or not. Right? The actual test can be, we can give you a result on the test with the new testing equipment we can give you a result within 35 minutes. Wow. Right? We're saying, yeah, we're saying, you know, we're saying two days maximum, 48 hours maximum, right? because some people, you know, they might be popping in and, you know, what you don't want to do is, is spring it on them. So what you do is, you know, you, you, you give it 48 hours maximum to be able to give them a message. So we're doing it like a traffic light system, mm -hmm. right? You're going to have green, which is okay, right? Amber is when it, it, it's it's not dangerous, but it needs to be monitored. So we will either refer you back to your doctor, right? Or we'll ask you to come back in in three months so that we can check it again. And the red, if there's a problem, right? In this mobile vehicle, we'll have a waiting area that we can, you know, with the specialist people that we will have on board will be able to sit down and go through what needs to be done so that from the word go, right, we are there to, to deal with the aftercare as well as 
the duration of you doing the test because the test is only a simple blood test for the mm -hmm. PSA testing, and we aim we aim to do over twenty thousand tests a year in this mobile vehicle, you mm -hmm. know, and 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 it's and it's it's never been done before, right? Because as I said, they don't even give us a, a letter to tell us to get it done. So we're saying, well, look, this is where the this is where the initial problem is because. It's not treated like breast cancer and cervical cancer, where the ladies have got a letter for both of those things. They've also got a mobile vehicle for both of those things. Yet well, me not, and you well, not for prostate cancer. Have... No, no, no. And then what are the government, before. correct me if I'm wrong, the government fund the vehicle for the, the, the breast cancer and the cervical yeah. cancer, but yeah. they know how yeah. to fund the vehicle for no. the prostate no. cancer. And, and, no, and the reason why they're telling the the, the, the the, the lame excuse that they're giving me, and I have to say the lame excuse, is that at this moment, right, they're having to fund COVID because COVID has stopped the world from, from moving on, right? But what I'm in there, because they've invited me to, to sit in front of them five times, and I'm saying to them, look, I understand what you're saying about COVID, but the problem is other illnesses are killing people as well. Yeah. And, and prostate, prostate was here long before COVID, yeah. right? Prostate is killing one man every 45 minutes, right? And the numbers are high. And But the truth of the matter is, is that this cancer don't care about your colour, really. And it don't even care about your wealth. And it don't care about you. What it does if you ignore it, it will kill you. Wow, so very... Um, so anyway, the vehicle, when the vehicle come out? Well, this is the challenge now. We're asking people to donate because we're quite away. We're still... Haven't got near to the four hundred and fifty thousand pound target yet. You know we're 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 chipping away at it, chipping away, but we're still a long way from getting that sum of money. You know, and we're saying to people, you know, come on board with us because you know when we get one vehicle, right, we know that we're going to name and shame the government into saying, right, you know what, we need to put our hand in our pocket because this is what we're going to end up doing. We're going to end up forcing the government to have to stand up and do something about this because. They can't keep accepting that we're going to lose over 11,000 men a year to prostate cancer and we're going to lose one man every 45 minutes to it. And Asian men, one in eight white men and one in four African Caribbean men. They can't keep sitting there and saying they're going to accept that. You know what? This one in four or one in six and... You're right. They can't keep on accept that. No, no. And and you know what? They would have reacted and done something about this if it was one in four white men. Yeah. And that's the question. That's what I said to them. I said, if I stood here with you now and it was one in four white men, you would tell me what you are about to do. I said, look. I said, I'm arguing for all men here, right? But I have to, now yeah. recognize no color, yeah. black, no. white, Asian, Chinese, everybody. Yeah. It's not. And you know, I, I, you know, but but the point I have to make to you is that, listen here, let let's let's have a sympathetic ear now. We are the highest risk of this problem, mm -hmm. and give us some help to 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 try and change that number. And that's what I'm asking them. I'm saying, look, you don't even give us a letter for it, you know. So that's what I want them to give us. I want them to between now and the next five years, they've got to give us a letter for it because it's disgraceful. Right to know that these other numbers we now have overtaken breast cancer, right in a race that we didn't want to be in. 
for the amount of men that are diagnosed with prostate cancer. They've now found out, countrymen, that you know breast cancer and cervical cancer, if your mother's had that, is now linked to prostate cancer. Wow. So this is what I'm saying about the research. I want to tell people this because I've spent the time study i've spent the time to look and be involved in the testing and the improvement in the testing and i want to share that with people and you know we have a charity now that when they donate their money they're going to see what their money is going to be doing the money is not going to be donated to buy no fancy office we don't need no fancy office we need to save lives we've lost too many brothers you know look you know in, in the industry as you know yeah, yeah yeah enough people that we know in the music world that's died that's died of prostate cancer so Aaron, foundation yeah yeah from um care mechanic to foundation just tell the people that where they can find your foundation right. right all they've got to do is go tap in the errol mckellar foundation.com right there's a there's a, a a donating button on there there's a qr code um, sign on there you know but more importantly we don't just want them to donate money come with ideas as well how are we going you know we want to set up a lot of workshops around the country right where men either come once a month and gather together and sit down and and chat talk about this thing right you know share the knowledge right that's what we want to do share the knowledge of what we're learning about prostate cancer so that we can get people to understand that hey listen this retro examination, because nine out of 10 men that you talk to, that's the first thing they say, I'm not going to go there and, uh, and, and have my erection interfered with. When you're dead, your erection is dead. not going to do finish. nothing. Stop. Stop. Finish. Done. Done. Yeah. Done. Finish. Kaput. No. Yeah. So let's get real. Let's get real here now. You know, we need to, to get rid of that stigma and, 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 and we need to change, you know, the narrative of the attitude towards this. This is no longer an old man's disease. This is a man disease, right? And the younger generation now, I have to say, the one good thing that's come out of it is that the younger generation that are coming up are talking about their health. And if we can get it into schools, then that, you know, look, now they're putting periods conversations in school for the girls because they realise how important that is. Prostate cancer is just as important because that's the issue that affects the guys and the boys mm -hmm. so, so yeah so okay. that's what we're on. get on to the errol the errol the errol right. mckellar foundation yeah. at yeah. and you don't realize that me and mr winter marty with the i winter with a why whatever you want to call himself we started yeah. our annual charity um raffle ticket sale giving away um prizes and fun and this and that and we are going to donate some of the proceedings to the Errol McKellar Foundation. Thank you. Thank you. And you know what? Let me tell you something. You know what's important is that we as a community stand firm, stand strong together. Because you know what? It's no point in having a charity and you're giving money and the problem is still the same. We have to start making change of this issue and make a difference of this issue now. Right? You know, we can't keep next year me and you have this conversation and next 15 men died that, that mm -hmm. year and we lost another six men we can't keep having that kind of conversation you know you know my little garage in the east end of london 48 men that i know came into that garage that was diagnosed with prostate cancer 28 of them 
were African Caribbean men. So that tells you how serious the problem is for man. That tells you how serious the problem is for black men. It's serious. That is DJ Countryman interviewing Errol McKellar from the Errol McKellar Foundation. I have had the privilege of interviewing the Errol McKellar um, on my uh, project um, which is the Mind Over Matter Project Suicide Prevention and the reason why I took on to get that message out with Errol and, and to cover not just the prostrate but what it actually does to you mentally um, that's the part that I feel that it it causes depression and this is the thing about um, what I do in the community is, is a prevention. So it's to getting the understanding of what somebody may be going through emotionally. What happens to their behaviour? What do they do? How does it affect the family? And you see, can you see, you understand that when somebody is being diagnosed with cancer, it, it affects everybody. Um, I remember when my own father was diagnosed with cancer, and, and even if it wasn't prostate cancer, but the cancer that he had was a, a carcinoma, which went through the entire body, but it started with um, the loss of his, his leg, use of his legs. Then it, it started with him saying, Kerry, can you come in? Uh, can you come and help me? Because I used to be a carer. And he says, oh, my bladder, um, I, I'm struggling to go to the, the, the loo. And I could see a big bulge on his uh, abdomen. Uh, his bladder was completely full. Um, and he would struggle uh, with his man bits. And, um, and then basically this cancer it just ate away at him um, inside and out. Um, so watching cancer is, is, is distressing. Could we have done anything to save these people and early intervention and this is why Errol's awareness today I feel was it, it, it hit home if it, it, it does hit home because if somebody has an issue then somebody has to take care and making sure somebody is nourished and nurtured and is when you're sitting there watching somebody dying from cancer it is heartbreaking and all you can do is try to spread positive energy and care for them in the most delicate manner but let them be involved in their own care. With Errol is giving you a message out here to say guys get tested, ladies understand that your MOT 47,000 men a year. Wow, prostate cancer. And you heard what he said, it's overtaking breast cancer, cervical cancer. Is it too much to ask people to dig deep in their pockets? I know it's not what you're accustomed to as far as, you know, uh, working with the NHS, donating to the NHS, at least you're going to be able to see where your money is coming from. You're talking about a testing kit. Now, one of the things I picked up on um, with Errol's interview with DJ Countryman was that um, 
this traffic light system that he's going to do and provide the van, you know, if people were to donate towards that van, this system that he has got going will eliminate stress. Now, the problem that we have with, and they're actually showing this clip, if anybody is aware of uh, what's going on in EastEnders, where they're showing that a man has just received news uh, having breast cancer. Yeah, that happens. You see, all of this awareness we're picking up on. But if Errol provides, and the NHS are on board with this, and which they should be on board with this, provides this van, what's going to happen? It's going to reduce stress. It's going to eliminate depression. And I'll, I'll tell you why. Because the waiting time for results make people act erratic. And that erratic, and that's what they showed on the telly the other day, and that's why I was getting to that, that erratic can be aggressive. The erratic behaviour can be as in drinking, uh, as in doing something silly to blot out um, what's happening. And that's the thing, the disassociation to receiving news. Yeah? The disassociation to even getting a test. I don't, it won't happen to me. No, that's all right. I'll, I'll put it off. Uh, you know, and you should heard. Now, finding out that it's actually linked to maybe mothers who have had a breast cancer or some kind of cancer in their family that, that can affect the males to go on to receive <laughs> prostate cancer. See, this is the thing. We all have cells in our body. We all have cancer cells in our body. And stress can trigger that off sometimes. Okay? You can get lupus. If you've never had lupus before, stress can trigger lupus too so all of this awareness i'm learning as well when i'm doing mental health i'm understanding people's what people are going through what they've been diagnosed with and it is those diagnoses that exactly what we're doing here is re is representing and getting that awareness out to get those diagnoses out to say look you can prevent these if you apply this action get tested get treated get supported you can do this but ignorance will kill. And it's fear and ignorance that does kill. People not really wanting to know, not really wanting to accept what somebody may be going through. Not, and that fear, you know, when someone says, oh, I've got cancer. Where do you put your head? What do you do? What do you say to them? It's uncomfortable, isn't it? Because the stability somebody thought would be around forever it's giving you some news, and that news means life or death. With the right information, with the right treatment, life can be preserved. But the awareness has to be out there so people know what to look for, know the signs, know the symptoms, but know most of all how to prevent it. Now goes depression. I always say tackling the underlying issues of depression what is causing depression what are your fears what are your worries cancer went through my mother was life was taken from cancer my father's life was taken from cancer my uncle's life was taken from cancer all different kinds of cancer and the cancer understanding that understanding the treatment the process what it inquires, even down to 
Sometimes people having to have a colostomy bag. What does that mean? How do you help that? What does that look like? You're having to learn all of these things when you're dealing with patients who have cancer, when you're dealing with your own family members that have cancer and you hope that it doesn't happen to you. And then you've got the equipment, yeah, out there. You've got the awareness more than ever now. As you heard, people shy away because it's happened to their family. They figured they could deal with it. But it's about survival here survival and if you want to um, have a successful life then you can intervene early early intervention means getting the information so you can eliminate fears and worries of the what ifs I might have it a simple blood test okay one simple blood test if you can do a COVID test now you can do a simple blood test to remove and eliminate any fear and worries and concerns you have. So I'm totally on board with Errol McKellar. And I'll do all I can to raise awareness. Whether that's advertised. Whether that's put out a second message. Third message. Fourth message. Because it's that word cancer. And I hope you dig deep when you are hearing this message. And you go over to the Errol McKellar Foundation. You can... You can research that. It's there. I've seen lives that he's saving. And you know what? If you can go over there and donate to him, you will see where your money's going. You can see. I believe. It's about believe. It's about prevention. You heard him today on the radio. He didn't have to do that. He put a message out there. He put his personal information out there. Everybody is always asking the dreaded question is, how does it affect your love life? It affects men and women, right? That question. But you see, when he's putting his personal life out there and he's telling you about his life, his experience, he is doing that from the kindness of his heart because he is a messenger to many to get that message out there. Speaking out saves lives and support saves more. So please donate to the Errol McKellar Foundation, please, so we can get that van. Somebody could actually fundraise for them themselves. They can set up a GoFundMe page. They could um, set up a page on their Facebook. They can find it and donate to them and just share. It's getting that message out. So if you heard this message today, send it to someone, anyone, anyone in your friends list, in your Facebook, in your WhatsApp, in your Instagram, because... This message today was meant to go out. It is Sunday and that message had to go out. Did you hear what he said? £25 test. It's not going to cost you to go to the doctors. It's something they get funding for. But your treatment, if left and you leave it, your treatment could cost up to £150,000. So get the test to prevent. Just like you would COVID. Get the test to prevent. But definitely get this test. And I think, you know, if you are in the community and you're listening to this, because I was thinking about it, what well, we what ourselves could put posters up in our own community. So we could ask Errol McKellar, hey, could you provide some posters, etc., and we can take it down the GP surgeries um, and put it out in the in the community. So it's another way of helping Errol McKellar to get that message out. To get your MOT, men and women, woman to woman, 
support the men in getting checked. Let them know that you will be there to, to go through the process. Just listen to them. Don't take over. Listen. But if you explain, play back Errol's message to them. <laughs> That's why it's important that you share. Perhaps the explaining is already done for you. So share the message because the explaining has already been done for you. Why it's important that you look after your bodies. Take care. My name is Kerry Mussington. Like I said, I had the privilege to interview um, Errol McKellar and, um, on my project, which is uh, Mind Over Matter Suicide Prevention. You can find that on the YouTube channel. And if you look and scroll, you can see Errol there live with us to the world, telling him how important it was. Errol covered the, uh, as he did today, great job of getting the awareness out. And I covered the other side of what it does as family members, um, how it causes depression. And yeah, it's, it's heartbreaking. But somebody has to tell this story. Somebody has to tell the personal details of their own journeys. So you get the message. So you understand we're not being ignorant here. Ignorance would be not to share this message, to get help. We're asking everyone to help here in this situation. If you need help with um, your depression, you want to understand, you need some support um, in any way. Again, working in conjunction with this message, there is myself, which is www.momaproject.co.uk. And again, we too are trying to help the community with mental health and um to reduce uh, uh, domestic abuse as well by getting these programs and workshops out there. Um, so you see, it's important for the cultured community. And I use that word, okay, I use that word because it's message for everybody to understand that it is unity in the community. If we want to save lives, donate today. Thank you. Save a life.